So the very, very last four words of the book of Exodus are these, throughout all their journeys. And it reminds us of the Christian life being a journey, and the journeys of the children of Israel are journeys that teach us. But we've said, haven't we, at the moment they're not journeying anywhere, they're here at Sinai. There's so much to grasp and to know and to understand for the journey. And we are always learners. None of us can ever come, no matter how long we've been a Christian, and say, I know it all. There is always something to learn. The pilgrims progress. We are always to be making progress. When we began our series, uh, we issued those uh, green notes and And from the first message, which was an introduction, we said that a journey is three things. We said it's an event. It's an event which has an end to it. It leads to an end, which, of course, is the promised land, in this case, heaven, in our case. We said it's an experience. It's uh, there we witness things, we see things, we experience a journey. And the Christian life is a tremendous experience. To live without Christ, what is our experience of life? Well, it's nothing compared to living for God and Jesus as our Savior. But we said the third thirty was it's an education. It's an education we're learning all the way through. And just quoting from those notes, their experiences uh, are in the Scriptures to make a stamp, a mark, an impression on our journey. So the things that we are learning here in Exodus, they're like a picture which stamps its mark, makes an impression on our journey experience. So we've been taking these big steps, and hopefully we've been learning big lessons. Last time we looked at uh, chapter 20 and verses 18 to 26, and we said that was a primer for worship. And worship is something that goes on all throughout time and into eternity. And there was just the simple things of worship. This morning, we're going to look at the provision of an angel. The next few occasions we go into uh, Exodus all begin with a P. And uh, here we have the provision of an angel. Our text really, 23 verse 20. Behold, I send an angel before you. And in the Bible, whenever it's there, this word behold, whether it's in the Old Testament or in the New Testament, we need to take notice. Now, we need to take notice of every word, but when God says behold, he is particularly, the Holy Spirit is particularly causing the person writing the scriptures to point us to something very, very important. Behold. And uh, there's something here for us, because these examples in the Old Testament are for our admonition and therefore our learning. So God is speaking, and he says to Moses and onwards to all the people, behold, I send an angel. So what I want to do this morning is to ask three questions to help us to apply what, what we see and what we've read here. First of all, we need to ask this question, who... Who is this angel? So we want to find out the identity of the angel on the journey. Secondly, we want to ask the question, why? 
Why is it that at this point, God says, I'm going to send an angel? Why is an angel provided for this journey? And then thirdly, we're going to ask the question, what? What is the result? What are the blessings of having this angel on the journey? So here's the first question, uh, really, to find out the identity of the angel. Who? Who? Who is this? Who is this? Now look very carefully with me. Because it's God who is speaking, and he says in verse 20, I will send an angel. But notice in verse 23, he says, I will send my angel. God is saying, this is my angel. And if you have a New King James, or if you have an authorized version, you will see that every time the word angel is shown to you, it has a capital A. A capital A. Now, the NIV and the uh, ESV don't, don't do that. But what the NIV and ESV do do to help us is that where in verse 21, God says you need to beware of this angel, the NIV says pay attention, pay attention. The ESV says pay careful attention to him. To obey his voice, verse 21, not to provoke him, says in the New King James. In the ESV, NIV, it says, don't rebel against him. In other words, don't turn against what he says that you should do, the things that he commands. And you can see in verse 27, they are to listen to his voice. And every time it says he or his, do you notice in the New King James, it has a capital H. There's a capital H. There's a capital A. So putting all those things together and asking this question, who is this angel? We can see clearly this is no ordinary angel. Although in my notes, when I put down ordinary angel, I put exclamation mark. Because is there an ordinary angel? All angels are extraordinary, aren't they? Some in Scripture saw angels and... What an effect it had upon them. So there's no ordinary angel, but you understand what I mean. It's not a, a, not a seraphim or cherubim. Not even Gabriel, who is named, isn't he, both in Old and New Testament. Who then is this angel? My angel. Capital A, capital H. Who we must listen to and uh, not rebel against. Well, there's some help for us if we go back. So keep your finger in chapter 23 and go back to chapter 3. Go back to chapter 3. And we go back there, which is actually before where we started our series in journeying with God. But I'm sure you're familiar with this passage in Exodus 3 and verses 1 to 6. We'll just read those words because here we find that Moses has already encountered this angel. So who he is is helped by us going back and finding that angel here. Exodus 3, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord, notice again a capital A, so it's the same angel we would believe, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. 
So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him out from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. Well, how remarkable. This bush that appears to be burning that isn't burnt. And the voice that comes from it. And it's the angel. But the angel that speaks says, I am God. I am God. The angel and God are synonymous. This angel that speaks, the angel in the bush, the angel of the bush, is God. Now, read on, chapter 3 and verse 14 to 17. In verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent you. Talking about him going to Pharaoh. Verse 15, moreover, God said to Moses, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial to all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and Isaac and of Jacob, appeared to me, saying, I have surely visited you and seen what is done to you in Egypt. And I have said, I will bring you out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites to a land flowing with milk and honey. And when we put that passage, those passages together in chapter 3, with this passage together in chapter 23, we see, don't we, the same angel and the angel clearly is God, God, God speaking. But here in this passage, go back to chapter 23, God is speaking here. Behold, I send an angel. Well, why doesn't he say, I'm coming to you myself? Well, we would believe that when he says, I am sending my angel, it is akin to messenger, I am sending one to you, who will speak for me and be, as it were, for me. It is God speaking of God. It is God, the first person of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Father, I send an angel, God the Son, to you. This is what we call a theophany. That is the theological term for it a theophany, where God the Son, Jesus Christ, before he became incarnate, before he became a baby in Bethlehem, before he was a man on the earth, in the form of a man, is God the Son promised to his people in different places revealed to them. He is the angel, capital A, God the Father saying, I am sending my angel to you. That's the name that is given to him. Now, 
This doesn't happen only once or twice. And I'll just give you some references and we'll pass on because we're not doing a, a study in theophany. But you will find in Genesis 16 and verse 7, Hagar encounters this angel. In Genesis 48 verse 6, there is reference to this angel as Joseph is blessing his children. Sorry, Jacob is blessing his sons. In Numbers 22, verses 22 and 23, Balaam's ass encounters this angel. This angel is in the form of a soldier, a commander of the hosts of God's armies in Joshua, when Joshua is before Jericho. And he asks, are you for us or against us? And the one who is the angel says, no, I come as the commander of the Lord's hosts. He is mentioned in Isaiah. He is mentioned in Daniel. He is mentioned in Zechariah. Are we sure? Are we sure about this? Well, two other things to help us to really nail it, if you like. In Exodus 23 and verse 21, can you see what uh, is said here? Beware of him or, or be very careful to listen to him and obey his voice, not to provoke him or go against him, for he will not easily pardon that, for my name is in him. My name is in him. God never anywhere says that his name is in a, an angel, an ordinary angel. When God speaks about his name, he is speaking about his whole person. He is talking about who he is, the person of God, all his attributes. My name is in him. He is in none other than the Son, in the Lord Jesus Christ, surely. And also then in those passages that we looked at, right at the very beginning of these studies, when we looked at 1 Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 10, in 1 Corinthians 10, there Paul is writing to the Corinthian church and he is explaining to them how the things that we're studying are such a help for the people then in Corinth as Christians. And they're the help to us too today. And in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 4, he talks about the people drank of the same spiritual drink for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. Paul is absolutely sure that in the Old Testament, here in these passages, Jesus was there. Not Jesus incarnate, as he was in Bethlehem's manger and walking in the streets of the towns of Galilee and in Jerusalem, visible as a man, but invisible as the Son of God here in these passages. And also in verse 9, he says, let us not tempt Christ as some of them also tempted. He is saying that Jesus was so very much there that when they tempted, when they forgot, when they didn't obey, when they, when they provoked him, it was Jesus who was there. The Lord Jesus Christ is with his people here in the Old Testament. It's a deep mystery, isn't it? The second person of the Trinity promised and present and powerful with his people. Now the pillar of fire and cloud that follows them 
and leads them is the physical evidence of the invisible Christ with them. And here, at this point, God is saying, my angel is with you. Now, as we said last week, and the whole matter of worship, that primer on worship, we must not forget those things. And here is something else. Before we set off on the journey again, as it were, whether we're there in the Old Testament, the then, or whether it's the now, never forget this, that Jesus Christ is with us. He is with us all the way. All the way my Savior leads me. What have I to ask beside? Can I doubt his tender mercy? Who through life has been my guide? How is he with me now? Well, he was with those disciples on earth, wasn't he, physically? He was with them. He walked with them and talked with them. They could say, oh, his presence was so real. What of us? Well, he walked with those men, didn't he, on the road to Emmaus. Or maybe it was a married couple, whoever it was, on the road to Emmaus. He walked with them then, the risen Christ. But how is he with us? Well, Jesus says, doesn't he, to his disciples, I won't leave you comfortless. I'm going to send another helper. He is going to be so like me. He's going to speak of me. He's going to be, as it were, me. So in John 14, we read those wonderful words, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. I'm going to leave you. The disciples are confused by that. Thomas says, how do we know the way? We don't know the way. Jesus makes those wonderful promises. Read them again in John 14 and John 16. And he says to them this, these words, I will come to you. I will come to you. You know, when you're born again of the Spirit of God, when you become a Christian, you hear these words, Jesus has come to you. Oh, the, the Spirit of the Lord Jesus dwells within my heart. But the reality is, is this, that Jesus Christ dwells with me. He walks with me. He talks with me along life's narrow way. And here is the wonderful continuity of the Bible. The wonderful continuity of God's promise and presence, his provision throughout all the experience of God's people. Here in the Old Testament, there in Galilee with his disciples, there on the road to Emmaus, the risen Christ, now by his Holy Spirit with you and me. And so this text is not a superfluous text of history. It's a real text for you and me. Behold, I send my angel to you. That Jesus is here. He is with us. He is with you and with me. It's a wonderful assurance and a tremendous provision for us to know that on the journey, Jesus is with us. Now, second question was this, wasn't it? Why? Why? Why does he do this? Why does he, why does he tell them of this now? It's not that it's suddenly the case. It has been the case. But he is telling them the reality of it. I suppose a bit like what we're doing here. Maybe we've sort of forgotten this idea, uh, this, this, this truth. Maybe we've never realized it. 
But it's always been the case, hasn't it? From the moment we've been born again, Christ is with us on the journey. All the way, my Savior leads me. But why? Well, I suppose there's two parts to the answer. The first really is on God's part. On God's part. And I think on God's part we can say this. It is because of his covenant love for his people. God's heart, his desire, his longing, his love, his attention, everything is towards his people. He has heard their cry in Egypt. Their cry has come up to his ears. He has provided for them this way of escape, this way of salvation. He has provided amazing things for them in crossing the Red Sea. The manna every morning being provided for them. And his heart is towards them. And it's a heart of covenant love towards them. So if you go back to Exodus chapter 3 and verse 7. He says this, I have seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sorrows. I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. Now, therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me. And I've also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. So he's seen those things. Come, therefore, I'll send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. My people. I'm going to provide, he says, for my people. Now, why are they his people? Why are they his people? Well, 40 years later, 40 years after this event, we, we read something most wonderful, which we have to really grasp and hang on to. Mark in your Bibles in Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verses 6 to 9. If you can turn there, do so if you, if you want to just listen. Deuteronomy 7 verses 6 to 9. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. Wow, that's amazing, isn't it? But here's even something more amazing. Verse 7, the Lord did not set his love on you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than all the people, for you were the least of all people. But because the Lord loves you, and because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Therefore know that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. That love is un changing that choosing of God's people whether it be in the Old Testament or whether it be in the New Testament or whether it be now that God has a people and the whole Bible is the explanation and the revealing for us of how God having chosen a people from all the peoples of the world has a plan and a purpose to bring all those people to glory one day and he has made a covenant which is demonstrated in the old covenant here with the people of Israel and demonstrated as the banks of grace burst at the cross. 
for people across the world of every tribe and nation and language. God's covenant people. He loves them. And he provides this angel. He provides the Lord Jesus Christ. He provides the reality of his Holy Spirit with his people to go with them and walk with them. Why? Why the angel? Why now before they set off again? To tell them he loves them. He loves them. We need to be told that, don't we? Because sometimes we forget that. We need to be told that God loves us with a covenant love. He's never going to let us go. And he's provided his angel for his people for that reason. But what about the reason from our sort of point of view? So on God's part, his great love. His covenant love. What about our part? Well, on our part, it's our vulnerability. Our vulnerability on the journey. Think of these people and what they represent. Think of these people, hundreds of thousands of them, men and women and children, old folk, sheep all over the place and animals and kids running about and tents flapping about in the breeze and stuff they have to carry and everything else. How vulnerable they are. They are strung out down the pathway. If there was pathways in the desert, they're strung out all over the place. There's not just a little camp of people. There are hundreds and thousands of them. They are so vulnerable. Do you remember how we saw uh, back a few chapters ago in Exodus 17 how the Amorites came and attacked them? And there in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 25, we are told 40 years later, they look back and say, wow, do you remember that first attack that we experienced just after we've left Egypt? What did they do? They attacked the rear of the, of the whole caravan. They attacked the vulnerable ones. They attacked those who had bit detached from the main number. That's what Satan does. You're not walking with God properly. If you're not walking with, the, with, with, with us as a church, if you're not if you're not committed in membership together, if, if you're not committed here to, so that we walk together arm in arm to heaven and you're vulnerable because you're off out on your own and you've forgotten to read God's word day by day and you're walking in sin and so on, you're vulnerable and Satan comes in and he'll get you and he'll have you and he'll attack you. You're vulnerable. God has a great covenant of love towards you, but you're vulnerable. You put yourself in that vulnerable position. Think of the years and years of the desert wandering of these people. Sometimes there were fearful storms and dark nights and lurking enemies and the threat of Pharaoh perhaps had diminished in the background. But what about verse 23? What does it say to us in verse 23 of our passage? Here are all these ites. When we were kids, we used to laugh at these things. All the ites, the Hivites and the Amorites and the Jebusites and all the other ites. You watch the World Cup. There's a team in the World Cup where everybody's name ended in itch. Is it the Croatian team? Were there the, all the itches? Well, there's all the ites. And they're not a football team. They are warlike people. They are godless people. When, when God says that the, the task of the people of Israel is to remove them all from the land, it's not that God has some 
some sort of vindictiveness towards these people, we have to realize how evil and wicked they were, how godless they were. And these people had no mercy. They weren't going to sort of stand by the roadside as the Israelites came through into the promised land and throw flowers at them and say, look, you take over my farm. You take over the house that I've built and, and the fields that I've been farming here all these years. You have our city. That's no problem. That's fine. Not at all. There was going to be battle after battle. And these people who are on this journey are not soldiers, are they? They have spent hundreds of years in Egypt being brick makers. They didn't have an army. They, they weren't allowed to have swords. They weren't allowed to sort of march up and down and prepare for battle. They couldn't prepare their shields and, and, and be ready to fight. They couldn't be disciplined people. They were oppressed people. They were making bricks all the time. All they could do was make bricks and sleep and eat, and that was about it. And now they're on this journey. They are so vulnerable. You know what you are and I am? We are sinners by nature, and we have been saved, and we're setting off on this journey, and we are vulnerable. We are vulnerable. Don't think you're a clever clogs Christian, and you'll be able to deal with Satan all the time. No problem at all. No, no, no. And God has provided an angel. He has provided the victor. He has put us on the victory side in Jesus Christ. And at the head of our army is the Lord Jesus Christ. Satan flees when he sees the weakest saint on his knees, praying through this angel, through this Jesus, to God the Father. And his covenant love is over his people to protect them and to keep them. Pilgrim's progress. Just think of all the difficulties that Pilgrim went through. Up that hill, difficulty. Timorous and, and the other one, whose name I forget, I forget at the moment now. They came running down, didn't they? They said, don't go up there, there's lions in the way. Well, what about those lions? They were chained, weren't they? So that the pilgrims could go through the middle and be safe. The Lord will provide. Think of that terrible fight with Apollyon. Boys and girls, if you're reading Pilgrim's Progress, we've not got to that bit yet. It's fearful. What a fight he has. Pilgrim has that fight. And it looks for all intents that he's done for. But in the end, he wins because he's on the victory side. Because Jesus Christ has won the battle for him. Doubting castle, giant despair. All those examples are there for us. They reinforce the scripture for us to show us that it's through much tribulation we shall enter the kingdom of heaven as we heard on Wednesday. The Lord will provide. Behold, I send an angel, my angel, and he will go before you and bring you in. And he has provided for us his Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ, because of his covenant love, because of our vulnerability. Thank him for it. Last thing. What? What? We thought about the who. And we're convinced this is Jesus. In the Old Testament. How remarkable. Never really thought about that before perhaps. But it's true. Here he is. Why? Because of God's covenant love. 
because of our vulnerability. Now what? What are the specific blessings of this provision? Well, before we look at them, and there are many, we just have to notice what it says in verse 21. Listen to verse 21 uh, very specifically. Beware of him. Or it says, as we said, pay very careful attention to him and obey his voice. Do not provoke him or rebel against him because he will not pardon your transgressions. In other words, he won't just easily say, oh, never mind. No, it's serious. This is a serious thing, walking with this angel, journeying with this angel. And there has to be reverence and obedience and that not provoking of him through willful and deliberate sin. And then we see as we go on, that, that as they come into the land, there are going to be those, all these ites, and they're, they're not to bow down to them in verse 24, or serve them, and they're to, to remove their worship of idolatry from the land when they, when they get there, not to be tempted to look into the future and think, well, we can serve their gods and do those things. In other words, it all adds up to this. What does it add up to? It all adds up to this. There is not to be a careless presumption in the Christian life. They were not to have a carelessness. So they could have been told, you will have an angel. He's my angel. He has his, my name in him. He is as good as God. And he's with you, as it were. And he loves you. And you're vulnerable, but he's going to protect you. And they could have had a careless presumption. And sometimes as Christians, we can have a careless presumption. We can say, well, I've got my ticket to heaven. I'm on my way. It'll be all right. All things work together for good. I'll just drift along. I'll walk along. I won't keep my eyes open to see if anybody's going to attack me. I, I, I'm not really interested in growing in the Christian life. I'll just go along as I am. I'll be okay. I think this passage teaches us very, very clearly we're not to be presumptuous. We are to heed these warnings. But when we do, and if we do, can you see the amazing blessings that are provided through this angel? Now, in the context, the blessings and the promises are physical. They are physical. They're set out in the Old Testament context, under the Old Covenant. So we'll read them in a second, but we read them as physical. They were going to actually physically battle. They were going to have to physically go into the land. Their journey was a physical journey over literal miles. So be careful, because the, they are pictures and impressions and pointers to us now of spiritual blessings. So our context is New Testament, New Covenant, spiritual blessings in Christ. 
We are not restorationists. We're those who believe that the pictures and impressions of the Old Testament, the pointers for us, which are physical, point to the spiritual. Now, you notice the amazing things that are given here. Verse 22, protection and defense. Verses 23, 27, 28, the overthrow of false gods and fearsome enemies. Verse 25, 26, the sustaining of health. Verse 29 and verse 30, the increasing progressive progress to the end of the people. Verse 31, the growth in the territory that they would overtake. And what for them were physical encouragements and blessings are for us spiritual. Spiritually, he will protect and defend us, overthrow false gods for us, sustain us in our spiritual health, increase our progressive progress, little by little. That's a great verse. It's, it's underlined in red in my Bible, verse 30. Little by little. Little by little. Christian life is often like that. Little by little. But progress is being made so that we might not become presumptuous or overconfident in ourselves. Here is the provision of God's angel. Who was it? It was Jesus. Why was it? It was because God loved them. Covenant love. Because they were vulnerable. What are the blessings of the angel? Oh, countless blessings for the journey and for the arrival. Here are the spiritual pointers for us of what it is to be on the journey to heaven. Praise God for the provision of this same angel for us. Now the next P is in chapter 24. We'll just mention it. The promises made in response. We read them. They promised. They promised. Moses wrote it all down in the book of covenant. He wrote it all down. Read it all out. He preached the sermon. Just like this morning. Preached the sermon to them. And they said, we'll obey. We've listened we're going that way. And we're going to trust and depend. Moses was 40 days and 40 nights away. And the P that comes next after that is the problem of idolatry. Beware. 